0: hey guys this is me did you move today welcome to the did you move today podcast i'm your host andrea and i'm very excited to be here this time i have katie losch as my guest she is the owner of chicago river north pilates and losch living has been teaching pilates geratonic and restorative exercise for the last 20 years she helps busy women develop a workout routine to achieve their highest fitness potential and reduce pain by gaining strength, flexibility, and balance. I'm very excited to be here. So without further ado, let's get started. Hello. Hi, Katie. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Um, I am very excited to have you here. So thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you. No, it's going a- to be fun. Great. So let's get started. So Katie Lush, she's she's a retired dancer. She has been dedicated to mind body fitness for most of her life. Uh, receiving a BFA in ballet from Texas Christian University, she discovered the practice of Pilates. And after moving to New York City, where she received her certification, uh, Katie realized she wanted her lifelong career to help people reach their fitness goals with healthy movement. In two thousand and four, two years after moving to Chicago. She opened the doors to her own private studio, Chicago River North Pilates, uh, focusing on pre, post cancer treatment, the aging population, and clients with traumatic injuries. Uh, Katie's unique and intuitive methods of teaching, combined with an unwavering focus, have given her clients a decidedly fresh and holistic approach to mind-body health. So I'm very, I'm very excited to have you here, Katie. Well,
1: thank you, thank you for having me.
0: I know you have a lot of certifications you are pilates certified uh, certified pilates teacher the gyrotonic expansion system you're a certified lab and movement analyst and is it soon restorative exercise specialist or you already have that certification i now have it so as of recently so great awesome so to get started i would like to know about your movement journey how did it all start it were you always into dance or like how 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 did i i want to know how how you started Um, I was a very active child and I grew up in Florida,
1: so I was outside a lot. And according to my kindergarten teacher, she told my mom that I had so much energy that I needed to expend, that she needed to enroll me in something. (laughs) So she put me in gymnastics. So that's kind of what kicked off everything. And then I don't know how much you know about gymnasts, but after you see, reach a certain level, they actually want you to take dance classes because mm-hmm. it, you know, refines your technique. So I started to take ballet because that was what they required of us. And then next thing I knew, I was preferring the dance to the gymnastics and I kind of shifted over.
0: Yeah, I was a, I was a gymnast. Hmm. But not, and I now that I look back, like it had a lot of Uh, there's a lot of discipline within gymnastics. If I could go back, I will definitely take it more seriously (laughs) than I did.
1: Yeah, so I got to a really high level of gymnastics and then switched over to dance and then, um, yeah, pursued sort of all forms of dance and then um, decided that I wanted to go to college or university and study dance. So it kind of never stopped. (laughs) I just decided that that was my passion. That was exactly what I wanted to do in life. So that was kind of the road I took.
0: What was your, um, how was your experience in college to study dance?
1: It was hard. It was very hard. It was very intensive because you would have, um, the way the university worked was even if you were a ballet major or a modern dance major, because you would have to choose, you had to take a certain amount of technique classes in both disciplines up until I think like your junior year. So you were taking three hours of technique a day, plus, you know, maybe some sort of like variations class with point work, or you would be in a rehearsal that evening. And it was, you know, it was strenuous. And um it was a small class, there was only like 10 of us. So we all knew each other quite well. And it really took up the largest portion of your life and being a liberal arts college, um, sororities and fraternities were really popular. And so me and like one other dancer rushed. (laughs) And so, um, I really always try to seek out a balance of a social life plus a dance career and, um, a court, well, I've spoken to my instructor or my, uh, professors since then and we've sort of all decided that it can be so strenuous that it can burn dancers out really quickly and I think that's pretty much what I experienced by around my junior year I was sort of slowly in a state of burnout and um, I preferred a social life to a dance career and try to tip the scales a little bit but I still had to complete my degree so um, so I did but by the time I fully, you know, completed my college education, I still had on track that I wanted to move to New York. I wanted to become a professional dancer. I either wanted to be on Broadway or dance in like a modern dance company. Cause I figured I couldn't hack it as a ballerina, even though that was my major. Um, I was like, I just want to dance. I'll do jazz. I'll do whatever it takes. And by the time I got to New York, I was spent, I was completely burned out. So I auditioned, but with kind of a half heart, which you can't go through that process without
0: 110% determination. I'm uh, interested now that you said that you had to choose between ballet and modern. I know now that's not, that's not the case in some schools. Some schools are, are, you know, if you're a dance major, you are able to take modern classes and you're able to take ballet classes. I'm interested in knowing how was your, your, your experience within within that you know in college as a as a dance major were the teachers very hard on you um did they put any pressure on like what you had to eat any mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. were you surrounded with people that had like eating disorders um I'm interested in knowing like how how yeah. was it because it sounds like it was you had to choose between ballet and modern and I know that your lab movement um, you're certifying Laban.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I, I want to, I want to know how, you know, if you had to choose between ballet, how is that you, you also have a certification in Laban movement? So,
1: um, let's see. So you didn't declare ballet or modern until like the end of your sophomore year. So everybody mm-hmm. had to take, you know, whatever they took and then you declared. And I had originally said I was always going to be a ballet major. I was accepted as a ballet major. But, you know, when I learned what modern dance was, because I had zero exposure of it um, growing up, I loved it. Um, And I was really like, oh, you know what? This is really what I love. And I think I'm actually better at it. But then there was something in the back of my mind that said, like, I needed to stick in the ballet community because that was what I came here for even though I wasn't good at it, it was almost like, because it was more of a challenge, I was like, I'm going to overcome this and I'm determined to do this. So being in the ballet world, I mean, really it was both disciplines. Um, I was definitely surrounded by women with eating disorders, but I have to give my university credit that they never, they stopped the weigh-in process before I got there. They, if somebody, if they could tell somebody was dealing with an eating disorder, they would bring that student in with a counselor from this, from the university, they'd sit them down. They'd talk to them about nutrition. They would talk to them about health. They'd seek out like, you know, um, therapy, like any sort of, you know, like talk therapy. Um, And they would really actually try to rehabilitate the child because to them, they were looking at the student holistically. And that, you know, even though the eating disorders existed and it was obviously quite prevalent, if they saw somebody making a really, you know, just losing a lot of weight rapidly. They were very good about stepping in and taking care of that child, which I thought was huge. I thought that was a tremendous asset, but not to say that, you know, everybody didn't have sort of like a low level eating disorder, Mm -hmm. um, because I feel like that's just rampant in the compute, the community as it is. So when you picked modern uh, ballet, when you chose your major, the modern required more credit hours. And that was really the biggest reason I chose ballet, which sounds awful. I was like, I have to complete how many more credits? And it was like minimal. It was like two more hours. But it was, we were already having to work at an 18 and a half credit hour schedule as it was and which was insane it just felt like it's a lot and so and that was including you know we all had to take English and I was a business minor and so that's just a lot of credit hours so everybody was at roughly 18 18 and a half hours every semester and so I was like to take two more just sounded so heavy and so hard that I said you know what I'm just gonna complete the ballet (laughs) you know um Education and just continue on. Um, one of my good girlfriends doubled major. Actually, a few people double majored, which they offered that up as well. And I probably should have done that in the end. Ultimately, I think that would have been smarter. But I just, again, to take double techniques for two more years just felt like r- way too much that I could handle. So, um, so yeah. So um, the law bond stuff actually came after college. When I moved to Chicago, I attended Columbia College Chicago here. And they offered a certificate in um, Laban movement analysis, so that I did after the fact. But I did, in the modern program, get exposed to Laban work and also the Pilates um, repertoire, and that's how I got into the Pilates world. Can you define
0: uh, Laban um, oh, for those of you that for those that that don't know? I mean, the majority oh. of people that listen to the podcast, if they're dancers, I'm sure they are um, familiar. Familiar to Laban? Um, yeah. Can you just like define it, like in a few few sentences? So Rudolf Laban was
1: he codified dance. He created a written system for dance. That is like what he's most known for. So Labanotation is a lot of you'll hear about that when you're studying dance in school. So that is Laban. That is his last name. So he also created a lot of other interesting ways to perceive how movement works. He has space, weight, time. Again, these are all things you probably learn about in your dance career and your curriculum, but he's the one who sort of created that. He's also the gentleman who partnered with, um, and, created like the Bartinia fundamentals that she created. So there's a big partnership that happened there. And so there's a lot of crossover between a lot of their work. So it's really about like studying movement at its like simplest, I don't know, way to be able Mm -hmm. to write it, to be able to describe it. Um, He also did this thing where he created the cube system where if you ever did like tracing cubes, if that's something you've ever come across, Mm -hmm. then he also did like tracing tetrahedrons and, Tracing, you know, geometric <laughs> containers that I can't even say the name of. So he took something that was like a four, you know, well, I guess it's like an eight point square, and you trace it diagonally, you trace it vertically, you trace it horizontally. And when you do that in your body, it gives your body a certain feeling to it. And so he, um, kind of coined that as not only a way to improve your movement abilities, but there's a psychological effect that happens as well. So he just did a huge amount of, you know, um, in the world of movement. And so between creating ways to move, um, recording how to move, studying movement with bartineff. Um, he worked with Nureyev, I believe. Oh, this is like so bad that I can't remember the history of this. But I believe that he worked with Nureyev a million years ago um, with his technique and improving his movements. Because I feel like a lot of the Labanotation goes back to that time in history. Um, but yeah, he was a huge influencer in all dance and movement as it is today. So, and then he also in our, my program they had dance movement therapy. And Mm -hmm. so the basis of the dance movement therapy department is the Laban, you know, movement analysis work. And then you can also um, take it in today's day and age and apply it to they have an extra certificate that you can kind of help clean up people's workstations, like where they're working at their desk at work. There's a whole process that's based in you know, Laban's work that helps you to clean up, you know, basically any postural issues, how to organize a work desk so that it's um, as effective and efficient
0: as possible. So that's kind of cool. So it's applicable today. So you went from from school, so you go to New York Mm -hmm. and then – you find pilates in college right you took a class in college a pilates class and that's where you were like you 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 started to get into it or is or it was like once you were in new york you experienced pilates it was the
1: pre- it was the previous where it was one of my courses in college and um this kind of predates, um, cause this is closer to like 2000, 2001 ish. Um, so this predates manuals. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's beautiful Pilates manuals out there now, but there aren't, there weren't any really then. So what happened was, is it was a lot of word of mouth that you were taught by an elder. So we were taught by this woman who was learning out in Boulder and she was practicing on us. And then we had to write out our own manual as a result. So, it actually became a deep part of our curriculum, but it was only one day a week and we would practice with one another. And then I knew about it. According to my professors, I was pretty good at it and I really enjoyed the teaching aspect of it. And so when I went to New York and I, you know, auditioned, it got kind of burned out pretty quickly. um, I kind of knew in the back of my mind that pursuing a Pilates certification was on my radar. That was something I knew I
0: wanted to do in the future. So I did it there. <laughs> Great. And then you find Gyrotonic, or how how do you find Gyrotonic? So fast forward, I got my certification in Pilates. I moved to
1: Chicago, and one of the women who was teaching at the studio that I was going to work at taught Gyrotonic, and she was a pre trainer. So as soon as I saw her teaching for like you know all of two weeks, I was like what is that <laughs> and I definitely need a session so she gave me a session and it was sort of life-altering paradigm shift amazing work and I immediately said how do I how do I get certified in this too so then I went down the path of doing that as well so it was like shortly after I moved to Chicago
0: I want a parenthesis here how does it work if I want to take a gyrotani class at your studio so we all, we do it privately.
1: Okay. So it's not a group class unless we can do up to duet. So you could bring a friend. Um, and you, it depends on how much, you know, <laughs> I guess, and everything's tailored to the individual. So, you know, um, gyrotonic is organized in family groups and, um, it is a, it's a system of movement. So I'm actually required to follow the system of movement because, Julio, who has created the system, is very smart and very wise. And he layered the system in a particular format that you're really start to you're supposed to begin it this, you know, the first progression <laughs> and work your way up to seven. So if you were to come to me and you've never done gyrotonic before, we would probably start, you know, <laughs> progression one, step one, you know, on day one. And then you kind of work your way through the
0: system. Great. on the
1: oh on the gyrotonic tower I should say because there are other pieces of equipment so that's on just the tower
0: i have to say that there's only a few people in chicago that are offering this true right true there's there not very barely, many of us. yeah there's just a few um someone told me about it jules mitchell uh she yeah. she used to live in california now she's in um Las Vegas and she told me she's like sometimes I go and take gyrotonic and I'm like Uh what is gyrotonic and then when Mm -hmm. I found I was like I have to take this I have to try (laughs) it out Mm -hmm. it's pretty cool
1: I always the way that I describe it is Pilates is to ballet as gyrotonic is to modern dance where Mm. one is just very simplified. It's very obvious. It's, you know, um, it's pretty linear. And then, you know, gyrotonic is is much more three-dimensional. It's a little bit more esoteric. There's all these, like, breathing patterns, much like yoga. Some people call it, like, moving yoga. Um, So, yeah. So, you know, they complement one another really well because where ballet and Pilates, it's, like, lots of stability. Gyrotonic, there's, like, lots of mobility. So... Um, I I really like teaching both. It's a really good, good balance.
0: I know you, you work with pre post-cancer uh, students, right? You have it's, students that it's, have.
1: It's pretty much post-cancer. Post-cancer. Nobody really, nobody really knows pre, yeah. <laughs> I want yes.
0: to, I want to know more about that. How did, how did, how did that even happen? Did you had a certification for it or you... You know, you is something that you've you've always been passionate about. Um I know you work with that, you work with the aging population and clients with traumatic injuries. So I wanna know like more about that specifically. How that but, happens. Yeah.
1: So If anybody who teaches Pilates who's listening to this or any sort of movement modality, um, the people who can afford (laughs) our services are typically older. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they have a lot more history. And that also means potential injuries and traumas and cancer. So I found even on day one that I would teach somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, I had breast cancer. And I was like, oh, interesting. And then I had one woman who had had it recently enough after I started teaching her or before I started teaching her that she had some lymph issues, which meant some like drainage issues in her arms. So she actually, she was a nurse and she educated me on that. And I was like, this is fascinating. So there were certain movements that she loved to do. There are certain movements we avoided. And she kind of told me and she would give me her x-rays and show me interesting things. And she really did walk me through her process. So the next time I had a client who, you know, had a similar situation, I was like, oh, I'm already skilled for this. So then there became a certification called the pink ribbon program that was specific for breast cancer for women. So I went ahead and I attended that, but it was kind of fun because I felt like I had already learned a lot along the way of teaching many women who had gone through breast cancer. So, um, my stepmother had gone through it. Um, multiple clients had gone through it. And so I just felt like It it, it, sadly, it kind of became the norm, like many, many times, like one in three of my clients would have had breast cancer or I walk through the journey of them going through treatments for it. So part of it was just kind of learning along the way. But then um, before I married my husband, he actually had cancer At the same time, another client had a similar form of cancer. And then a year later, another client had the same form of cancer. So it was just this weird coincidence where I just learned a lot through living through it, you know, living with somebody, you know, going through it, um, and just sort of seeing how energy changes with chemotherapy and radiation. I knew what good products to put on burns were, you know, I just sort of learned along the way, um, And so everything has sort of been anecdotal and self-taught with whatever the person is and dealing with, you just deal with them. If something is too scary, you skip it. If, you know, they're willing to try new things, you try it. If their energy is low, you dial down the workout. If they're feeling really good, you dial it back up. And so you just take the person at face value for the day, which is how you should teach anybody anyways, whether they have you know, whether they're going through some sort of treatment or not. Um, When it comes to some of the more traumatic injuries, I've dealt with clients with Parkinson's, traumatic brain injuries, hip replacements, knee replacements. Um, I have a client with um, MS who is in a wheelchair. So um, it's kind of all the same principles. You you just kind of take the person and you teach to the person in front of you. They could be in a wheelchair and you just – You make them move their head around, you make them move their arms around, you just see what their movement potential is and you just go from there. So um, I love teaching this population because that's, you know, it's the baby boomer generation. They're the ones who are about to be going through all of these changes rapidly. And um, like I said, they're typically of the age where they can afford our services and they also have more free time because a lot of them are retiring at this point. So, um, I kind of prefer this population because personally, I think it's more interesting than say like somebody who's very healthy and fit and just wants like a really hard class. I can do that. And I think that that can be fun, but my heart is really for helping people who, um, you know, movement is not something that they grew up with, let alone that they know how to do well. So a lot of times they're coming to me at like 50, 60 years old they've been a bookworm, they've been a lawyer, they've been a doctor, and now they're finally learning how to move their body. So it's really fun. And it's just, it's a huge, it's just, it's beautiful to watch. It's my favorite.
0: Well, that sounds, that sounds awesome. When I read your bio, I was like, I have to ask her those questions because I'm very into it. And like, it you, it's something that intrigues me a lot. Mm-hmm. Do you teach them Pilates or you go, because I know, as I, as I told you, like you had a lot of, you have a lot of certifications Mm -hmm. and you also, on top of that, you have your BFA, um, in ballet. Do you go, you do teach him, uh, Pilates specifically or do you, or do you go like depending on how the client feels?
1: Um, let's see. I teach a fusion, I would say of pretty much everything I've learned along the way. So I might be using the Pilates apparatus or the gyrotonic tower for some of the things because somebody maybe needs to be seated to act, you know, to be able to access the pulley tower. Um, but it is sort of, um, heavy on, uh, focusing on any sort of injuries and addressing them and trying to get to the root of why it happened or maybe, you know, work on the strength or the flexibility issues. Um, Or it's a lot about gait in my opinion, because, you know, walking is how we get from point A to point B. So if somebody's gait or walking pattern is really distorted, that can actually cause their injury. And maybe they're 50 years old and they never knew that they walked a particular way. So I do a lot of exercises to help clean up their gait and make it a little bit more efficient. And so I teach Pilates to do that. Absolutely. But it's, um, it's a little bit tweaked and focused for, you know, a specific reason. And then, um, but then I also have clients where I teach just general Pilates sessions to general gyrotonic sessions to, and they, you know, people may not have any injuries or any pathologies. So you just kind of, you just teach them and they're kind of fun and easy. And, you know, it's kind of fun to sort of take them through their paces. So it just, it depends, but I do, I do mostly teach Pilates and then, you know, a little less of gyrotonic, but then I kind of instill whatever the person needs from, you know, anything I've learned along the way.
0: Now, do you collaborate with doctors and and scientists? It sounds like you were, you had a nurse that was, uh, as a student and it, you know, for me, like when, right now that you're telling me about, you know, Parkinson's MS, and like, like all these things. Um, I I would like to know if you collaborate with doctors and and other scientists, because it sounds like, like it's like you are bringing the the point of this podcast is to bring arts and science together. Mm -hmm. And so I want like, it sounds like you are a dancer, you have all the certifications. So I want to know, and you, of course, you know, the science behind this. So I want to know if you collaborate with others and how, how welcoming are other like scientists and doctors. If they it's are.
1: it's uh, uh, I it's been interesting
0: because I do I actually
1: do um, seek out um, and it's not as many doctors as it is physical therapists okay. because doctors a lot of time after they've performed the surgery their role is done <laughs> right and and that's fine because their role is to surgically correct the situation and then their work is done so they can't tell me oh, well, my patient will start to move like, or their client, whatever, will start to move like X, Y, Z after this surgery. They don't know because they don't necessarily follow up with the person. It's my job and the physical therapist's job to collaborate and say they go into physical therapy after a knee replacement. They go to a physical therapist for X amount of sessions and then they're kind of released and then they come to me. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. I will talk to... um, I mean, I can talk to orthopedists. I know a few, but really I find that the physical therapists are the ones who are in the trenches really see, seeing what happens post-surgery. Um, they're up on all the science. They're, you know, And so I find that that's an easier avenue to collaborate with. And then a lot of times I have actually gone into clients' physical therapy sessions and watched what they've done. Oh wow. And yeah, I will because or I will get a handout from, you know, the client of what their script is from the physical therapist and we do it and we run through it. So I've actually learned a lot of physical therapy along the way. And so that is sort of melded into some of my stuff as well as um, even some of the Pilates modalities have incorporated some of the traditional physical therapy movement exercises for, you know, injury prevention and whatnot. So it's it's built in to a lot of continuing education these days. and um, But I do have a couple clients who are doctors. So I pick their brains all the time. And one in particular, her husband had the traumatic brain injury. She was the wife. They were both doctors. And so because it was a traumatic brain injury, it's really hard to get an accurate answer from somebody who's had a brain trauma. But the wife could fill me in. And so I still see both of them today. So even to today, a lot of times I'll ask her, you know, how was, you know, so and so, you know, after our session, or she will ask me like, how was he last session? Oh, his hearing was a little bit worse this week. Yeah, I saw that too. And so, um, it's a nice support system for both of us because, um, it just sort of, uh, and just gives one more person to sort of bounce ideas off of, or if there's a doctor's appointment, you know, we discuss that and whatever and sort of progress and change. So I love reading science articles. I think that it's really smart, but anecdotally, I do see that um, because I've seen so many different clients at so many different stages that it's a little bit of like my studio is my laboratory and I try something and if it works great. And if it doesn't, we scrap it. And so just having sort of worked with enough bodies, I can see patterns emerging. And um, as I see these patterns emerge, I sort of go, okay, this is what I can sort of predict will happen if this client had breast cancer and she had X amount of lymph nodes removed. I'm going to be on the lookout for this. Or this person is having a hip replacement. This is what I know I need to look out for. So um, so just through experience as well as some continuing education, I feel like it's been... Um, I've taught myself a lot just by asking a lot of questions. Great. Um, you know, going to physical therapy sessions. Call, I have a good I have two good girlfriends who are physical therapists, so I call them up. I myself put myself in physical therapy specifically to ask questions about my clients as well as work on my body because as a practitioner, you'll find like you'll get repetitive motion injuries unfortunately as a result of our work, so you want to keep your body tuned up as well. So um, and it just gives me one more person to ask questions to.
0: Great. I have four more questions for you, yeah, Katie, yeah. but I want to be very mindful of your time. Yeah, no, know, it's fine. Yeah, I'm things okay. To do. Yeah. So I have um, – my next question is uh, concerning shoes Yeah. because I was checking your Instagram and I'm like <laughs> – yeah. I, I don't wear heels. I like to wear things that are very comfortable Um and so when I saw your feed, I'm like, oh, okay, I have to ask Katie about <laughs> shoes. So can you tell me more about uh, your thoughts on shoes? What brands do you recommend? Why on do you footwear. recommend those brands? And yeah, I want to know about that. On footwear. Okay. So yeah, the, the restorative exercise
1: specialist um, certification I got this last year is based in this woman named Katie Bowman and her work. And she created a company called Nutritious Movement. Oh, yeah. And uh so if you've ever come across her work, this is what it's based off of. So um, she is a biomechanist by trade. She's an author, and she's very, very wise. And she studied enough people groups and, you know, biomechanics to learn that um, basically as people, we are getting some – very westernized um, injuries as a result of our culture, to put it broadly. One of them being our footwear. So um, she just sort of, again, followed these groups and say, like, Africa or sort of all over the world that did not follow typical westernized cultures. And they noticed or she noticed that, you know, they didn't have a lot of the same foot issues. So for instance, like bunions, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like a lot of these tribes, they don't have bunions. Well, guess what? They also don't wear shoes. So knowing that and knowing sort of the principles of biomechanics and the way a body moves, it's been highly suggested that we look at minimal footwear as a way to allow our feet to move as naturally as possible in hopes of, you know, granted our feet are the first thing to touch the floor, but it's also very important to maintain our foot health because it also like goes up the chain of the body. So when your feet are distorted, it can also cause ankle, knee, hip, spinal issues. So, um, so she highly encourages what's called minimal footwear and I do too. (laughs) So what makes up a minimal shoe or minimal footwear, there's five principles and I'll just, I'll go through like a couple, but the first thing is that you want it to be flat and level on the bottom. So we call it a zero drop or a no rise heel, basically no heel whatsoever. And just like you, I always chose the comfy shoes. My favorite brand was Nike free. I wore them. That was my shoe. That was my go-to shoe on a daily basis. Well, even a Nike shoe has a small heel. It's small, it's there. And so unless you really like got a ruler out, I thought it was a completely flat shoe, but it has a small heel. So, Unless you're finding a brand of shoe wear that is deemed minimal, zero drop, no rise shoe, it will have a heel. And if you, you know, a heel innately is not a bad thing, but what it does is it's like slipping a couple books under a bookshelf. It tilts the whole structure forward. So not only do you not move your ankle as much because of that slight, it's kind of like walking downhill all day long. But also um, the rest of your body has to adjust to keep you upright from tipping forward. So your body will distort itself to keep an upright posture because of your foot being shifted into that tilted heel position. So, so that's with heels. The other thing is like a really flexible sole so that it, you know, when you go to walk on like the ground, you can actually feel the ground under your feet versus I'll use Nike as an example. You know, it has a very, um, uh, like my mother-in-law wears these like really kind of ridiculous. They're like bubbles underneath the shoes. They're all this air. Um, and they help her out for her many foot issues, but ultimately it's like walking on a big pillow all day long. And so, unless you can really feel your foot not only touching the ground, but also adjusting and changing and adapting to all the different shapes that it comes in contact with the ground, you're losing an opportunity for like lots of foot mobility, some foot strengthening and also some proprioception on the bottoms of your feet. So, um, so yeah, so minimal footwear, that's just like two points, but, um, I'm a huge advocate of it because I really do think that, um, You know, again, your feet are your base and you walk on them a lot and they take you, you know, around the world and I want to be nice to my feet. And I think we're kind of cute shoes, you know, that kind of deform the feet are kind of, you know, I'm just, I'm not willing to take that risk. I've kind of moved beyond that. And so I think that there's a time and a place for a pointy high heel shoe, but, um, I just know that there is a cost
0: to do that. Yeah. I mean, I'm being very biased right now. I I really agree with you. Yeah. I know there's people that care more about the fashion, but. Yeah. And, and you know what? Oh, fine.
1: well, and you had asked for some brands. Okay. So I do have to say in my like four years of really going down this journey, I have actually seen a lot of these barefoot slash minimal shoe companies have gotten much cuter shoes and you can find some brands that are more mainstream that actually are minimal. You just have to pay attention to the criteria. So, um, and I even have like on my website, I've got like a download that you can look up that has all the criteria of what minimal shoes are. But basically, um, a good example are teaks, which are those really cute ballet flats. Um, they've got like the turquoise bottoms. That's actually considered a minimal shoe. Um, it's a little bit narrow in the toe box, but if you have a narrow foot, it's not. Um, and that's a mainstream shoe. So they're pretty cute and they're ballet flats and they look good. Um, but I find like Vivo Barefoot mm-hmm. is a big brand. Unshoes, zero shoes. Um, I, okay, I even found a winter boot that I love by the brand Camper, which is not a minimal shoe company. But their boot that they came out with like a year or two ago is a minimal boot. I just had to make sure that I knew about the criteria. And then there's all these Facebook groups of women and men like myself that we all get together and we buy, sell, and trade them as well as ask questions of like, hey, did you guys go to Walmart and see this new minimal shoe? What do you think? Is this minimal? So um, there's a whole people group (laughs) of us talking about it.
0: So there's there's some good stuff out there. You just kind of have to look for it. Now, do you have, so do you have any advice for dance students that are currently in college working for their dance degree? Um, I mean, if they're listening right now, it looks like some of those people are trying to maybe become like you, yeah. you know, with all the certifications, you own your own studio, you have your blog, you also teach online, like you have all these things. Mm-hmm. Um And so do you have any advice for for those dance students? Mm. Um, And within that, do you think that there is a lack of of science within the arts? Mm. Oh, those are two big questions. So um, I'll answer that
1: second one first. Is there a lack of science in the arts? I have to say it's slowly changing. Even in my college at TCU, um, I just read recently that they brought in this woman who is trying to change the paradigm of ballet class where you don't just stand at a bar, you stand in center and you're talked about like a plie and you're talked about what turns your legs out. Where do your knees track? What's happening to your upper body from an anatomical perspective. And so I think that's the education that we all missed because it was all just like mimic, just copy the teacher in front of you, you know, and that's sort of how the, just that's how dance has evolved. It's always been just like copy the person in front of you. And that's great. Um, I realized that my brain wanted more information than that. Like, why, why am I copying the person in front of me? Why, when I do this to my arm, does it make this shape? And why, when I do this with my arm, it makes this other shape. And so that's the science that's sort of missing is anatomy is great, but it's just a skeleton and muscles, but it's the, um, the functional anatomy is what's sort of missing. And that's what I love and adore. So I think it's coming around. I think, you know, like hold on tight. Maybe this group of dancers might not get it, but I think the next group of dancers will probably get a little bit more science built into their education because for longevity, I think that needs to be addressed more than anything else. Um, the science behind it and the science of how to, uh, sustain your body. Well, while you're dancing so that you don't injure yourself out at an early age. Oh, so my advice, what would my advice be for dancers? I mean, if you want to go down the road of auditioning and that whole circuit, I mean, you just have to have the endurance and the perseverance and the determination and the thick skinned, you know, um, Personality type to just be able to, it's like an actor, right? You just you have to get really used to hearing no, 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 and just keep pushing through. If you really want to do this, if this is just your passion and you feel like you love it and you don't want to do anything else. Um, if you're okay being poor and doing absolutely nothing else, keep doing it. If you're like me and all of a sudden I was doing it and I was poor and I was like I don't know if I could keep doing this. I feel like I need to make some money. And I pivoted avenues to Pilates and I was okay with that. So it's just, it's just a different mindset. Um, But I think if that's what you want, just, man, just go for it. And I think there's all kinds of really smart, creative ways now with social media of like how to put yourself out there between, I mean, if you think about it, when I was auditioning, when we did audition tapes, nobody really had a camcorder. Like you didn't really have one. I mean, you really barely had one that you had access to. So you would have to like go find somebody who had a camcorder, let alone a tape. Then VCRs, you had to like transfer the tape to like maybe like a DVD. I mean, the whole thing was such a crazy process that this generation of dancers, you guys are so lucky that you could just turn on your phone, (laughs) you know, and tape Mm -hmm. yourself and then send it an email to somebody. So in that regard, it's so awesome to be accessible. And there's so many accounts of people just like, you know, between Instagram and YouTube and just putting themselves out there. And I think being discovered, which I think is so awesome. Um, but I would just say like, just, you know, keep up the good fight and just keep doing it. And um, if you want to explore other avenues of movement that don't necessarily involve being, becoming a professional dancer, just know that there's so many out there. There's so many out there and you can still feel creative and you're still moving your body and you can still feel like you can perform, but it's in a different format. It's not in front of hundreds of people. It's just with the client in front of you. Um, and so it's out there and it can really fulfill a need in you that maybe dancing, you know, professionally may not.
0: Thank you for that, Katie. Katie, did you move today? Oh
1: yes. Yes, I did. I, um, I actually did some filming, <laughs> so I usually teach a class on Mondays, so I filmed that and taught some of that, and then I walk a lot to and from the train, so I um, sent you a little video clip of me um, walking home from the train. Great. Katie, what's movement for you? Oh, it's everything, right? You, you know, you, you're born, and you take a deep breath, and that's movement. You know, you blink your eyes and that's movement. I mean, movement is everything about our bodies and souls.
0: Now, where can we, where can we find you online? Oh, gosh.
1: Um, you can go to my website. It is um, Katie Lush, K A T Y, like Katy Perry, Katie Lush, oh. L U S H.com. Um, I'm on Instagram at the Katie Lush. My Facebook is Lush Living. And, yeah, I think that's it. I mean, you can, oh, I've got a YouTube channel, too, also Lush Living. You could probably Google that as well. But, um, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place. I love interacting with people and, you know, writing
0: comments back and forth and whatnot. So if you have any questions, feel free to,
1: feel free to write it. write me.
0: Great. I'll make sure to to write that on the show notes so that everyone can access that information as oh, well. Oh, thanks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I love it. So I'm actually going to go to um, TCU in September and be on a panel as like a Pilates instructor slash studio owner.
0: So I'm like, wow, I, love, yeah. I love
1: talking to college students. It's wonderful. It's so fun. It takes me
0: back. That's awesome. Well, that's I'm very back. awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah, me too. I'm very flattered. But yeah, so I, I, this is helpful because I got to think about what you guys are up to. So feel free
0: to ask questions. It'll help, help me, you know, with that in the future. Great. For sure. Katie, thank you very much for your time. Um, I'm very happy I found you online because I did find you online. I know. Thank you. Thank you again. This is such a great podcast to have. So it's, it's beautiful. I, I love, did you move? <laughs> I love it. It's great. Great. Awesome. So thank you very much, uh, Katie, for being here. Um, you're so knowledgeable so this is awesome i'll make sure to reach out for uh gyrotonic and guys i hope that you move today and if you haven't you still have a couple of hours katie something else that you would like to tell everyone
1: oh i agree move and movement is just movement it's not exercise cool all right thank you all right take care